The Village Square, a nervy bunch of liberals and conservatives who believe that disagreement and dialogue make for a good conversation, a good country, and a good time. At The Village Square, we believe big things can happen when ideas collide inside the bonds of mutual respect. We're building the town hall of the 21st century across the partisan divide. At the Village Square, we talk about politics, religion, and race. You know, the topics your mom taught you never to discuss in polite company. When most separate, we gather across color, creed, and ideology. Listen, at the Village Square, we make pigs fly. Welcome to the Village Squarecast. This is your host, Vanessa Rouse. Thank you for joining us for the final program of our three-part series called Equality in Life, a series of conversations about racial equality in our hometown. The Equality in Life series is part of our Local Color Project, made possible by the generous support of Bank of America. This series has three parts, each focused on a specific area where inequalities exist in our systems. These virtual programs took place in June and July of 2020, and now they're all available on the Village Squarecast. If you missed the first two, check out the two episodes that dropped right before this one. Part one was about justice and law enforcement. Part two was focused on business and growth. And part three is on the role of government. And that's the one that you'll hear about in this episode. Each one of these discussions brings together a remarkable panel to explore our local systems and to discuss efforts to make these systems work better for everyone in our community. These discussions really are quite incredible and have helped me so much in my understanding of the big picture of what we're dealing with here. So now let's dig into part three, the role of government. This discussion was facilitated by Lila Jaber, founder of the Jaber Group and the founder of Florida's Women and Energy Leadership Forum. There are five community members joining the discussion, and I'm going to introduce you to each voice now in the order in which they speak. First, Tallahassee's Mayor, John Daly. When I saw pictures of those individuals protesting, praising the Tallahassee Police Department for keeping them safe during the events in Tallahassee, that made me proud. That showed us that, yes, this is a community that can definitely support the freedom of speech, frustration in the streets, protest in the streets, do it right. And our police department did do a wonderful job as well. Next, here's Leon County Commissioner Nick Maddox. The real question is, what resources are you putting towards not just detaining, but rehabilitating? What resources are you putting towards towards making sure that people don't even get to the point where they enter into the justice system. Are you putting as much effort into that as you are in the policing portion of your budget? Then we have Deputy City Manager for the City of Tallahassee, Cynthia Barber. My first introduction to the city as an employer was my father was a police officer at a time when the diversity strategy was if an African-American leaves, you replace them with an African-American. At a time when my father could not even enforce the law in Kurlan Estates because he was an African-American and he was not trusted, the blue uniform was not enough 
for him to be trusted by a community he was charged with serving. We have come a long way from there. Next up, Sharon James, chair of the Leadership Tallahassee Board. We live in a time where a lot of divisiveness is fueled by sound bites. And to use a word like defund is only a few characters. It's quick to say, but you really have to unpack it in order to understand it. And so I've had conversations with um, folks who hear protesters um, and others use the term defund the police and then they automatically assume that that means that we would have no, no police. And finally, we have Wanda Hunter, Assistant County Administrator for Leon County. Over the years, we've asked law enforcement to take on some roles that are, are best managed by our social, ser- social service entity. I mean, that's the reality of it. We have put pressure on law enforcement to wear many, many hats. And so we may, when I hear defunding, it's have we added more responsibility to law enforcement that is, is really best managed by some other entity, be it government or a private entity? I got to tell y'all, there are so many thought-provoking little nuggets in this discussion. I was so moved by their words, like hearing from Cynthia about her father's experience and realizing just how recent our equality efforts have been, if you think about the big picture of our country's history. And when you also think about how long it takes to shift our thinking from one generation to another, this all helps us to understand why we've still got work to do. I am also really thankful for the discussion in this episode and in part one of the series about defunding the police. And on that note, here's another moment of honesty from Vanessa. When I first heard that phrase, I didn't like it at all because I didn't really understand what it meant and because I value the police so much. I see how they help our community every day in so many ways. They've helped me throughout my life even this summer when an off-duty officer brought home my lost eight-year-old son. Yeah, that's right, you guys. No Mother of the Year award for me. Anyway, you know, I think Sharon is exactly right. If we take time to dig in, we learn things about defund the police movement and about the current state of law enforcement in our community and about the history of how we got here and why reallocations of funds might be necessary. For me, these discussions have allowed me to shift from a place of fear to a place of optimism and appreciation. So thanks to all of the panelists for participating, and thanks to you for joining this important discussion. All right, now let's get to the program. Here's Lila Jaber. Well, good evening, friends. Thank you, panelists, for being with us tonight. Thank you, Tallahassee and and the uh, Leon County attendees that are on the line with us. We're hoping you're having a great evening. This is going to be a fantastic conversation, but it is only fantastic if you engage. So before we do any of the introductions, I just want to make sure that you know you are invited to send questions. Please engage. This is a wonderful opportunity brought to us by the Village Square in partnership with Bethel Missionary Baptist Church, the U.S. Attorney's Office, and Sachs Media Group. Thank you, Liz, for your leadership with the Village Square. I'm Lila Jaber. I'm the founder of the Jaber Group, 
and the founder of Florida's Women in Energy Leadership Forum. I'm very, very happy to introduce our panelists tonight, and we're going to get started right after the introductions. We've got Tallahassee Mayor John Daly with us, Tallahassee Mayor and former Leon County Commissioner. So I'm sure you'll get all kinds of questions, Mr. Mayor. Uh, County Commissioner Nick Maddox has just joined us. Thank you, Commissioner. Deputy City Manager for uh, the City of Tallahassee, Cynthia Barber. The Chair of Leadership Tallahassee, Sharon James. Sharon was also in a previous life, the uh, state insurance uh, consumer advocate in the uh, CFO's office. Thank you, Sharon. And Assistant County Administrator for Citizen Services in Leon County, Wanda Hunter. Welcome. So you all know me, I like to get started. Let's just tackle those big issues as we try to inform and inspire um, your constituents and, and the people that are following actions as it relates to concerns over racial inequality and uh, social justice. So Mr. Mayor, I'll, I, uh, I pose the first question to you and, and invite uh, Commissioner Maddox to follow up as well. So you've heard the national plea to have uh, issues addressed around racial inequality and social justice, whether it relates to housing and economic empowerment, uh, schools and, and, and various um, services offered by government. Tell me what you and the county are doing together to address these issues. Well, first of all, I know that um, we'll spend a lot of time uh, getting really deep into these issues, which is very exciting. Nick, good to see you, my man. I always enjoy working with you. Y'all are doing a great job at the county. Cynthia Barber holding up, representing the city with me. I appreciate it. Great to see you. Wanda, yes, miss working with you over at the county. It's great to see you as well. Sharon, leadership classmate, leadership Tallahassee, representing tonight. It's good to see you. And Lila, as always, thanks for hosting. We certainly do appreciate it. Look, folks, we got a lot of work to do. Now, that's not to say that the city of Tallahassee and Leon County has not done some amazing things. And of course, I know Nick and I look forward to sharing all the incredible things, and Wanda and Cynthia will help us out. But, but no doubt, Tallahassee, state of Florida, across the nation, we have a lot of work to do. Um, these issues have bubbled up for many different reasons, whether it's you know a combination of Many of the events that have taken place, um, George Floyd's death, all the way across to things that we've had locally, COVID, everybody being home. I, I don't know what it is, but we are here. Your city is listening. Uh, we've got a dynamic city commission, and I'm not going to speak for Nick because I know he can speak for the county as well, but I, I think what I say is what, what Nick says, is that your local government, we're listening. We work very well together. Um, we don't have all the answers, that's for sure. I don't think anybody does. But we're going to work with this community and we're going to move this community forward. Uh, these are unprecedented times, not only with the social justice issues we're dealing with, with a 100-year global pandemic. As we speak, we have two tropical uh, depressions, if you will, in the Atlantic Ocean. I mean, we've got a lot going on, that is for sure. But we live in a great community. Where we're going to tackle all these issues head on. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. The question, uh, Commissioner Maddox, I know you were just dialing in as I posed it. It's, you know, we find ourselves, as the mayor said, in unprecedented times, um, perhaps as it relates to issues around racial injustice, social injustice, concerns over housing and 
uh, Leon County, um, whether it's zoning or housing as it relates to this segre uh, concerns over segregation in our community. So the question was, what, what are the city and county doing to work together to resolve these issues? That's the foundation question. Give you some time to think about that. But, but Mayor, the question I think constituents want to know is what have you, it's wonderful you're listening, but what have you done so far? What are the actions that you've already taken? Maybe I misunderstood how we're going to go about it. Um, yeah, we can jump in right now. I'll give you a prime example. And I'm not going to steal Nick's thunder because Nick's been a true leader on this. Affordable housing in our community is extremely important. And we are woefully behind with the amount of stock that we have for affordable housing. Under Nick's leadership, when he was chairman of the county commission two years ago, and I served with Nick at the county commission, he led a coalition of both city and county elected officials to jump right into affordable housing and lack of stock in our community and Section 8 housing that we have. We had two or three Nick joint summits. And again, I don't want to steal your thunder, but uh, two or three joint summits between the city and the county in particular. As a result, I will let uh, Nick talk about some of the rejuvenation that we're doing down on Orange Avenue and some of the organizations that we brought to the table to help out. Uh, at the city in particular, we've invested $6.5 million in the Greater Bond Neighborhood Association through their Greater Bond Neighborhood Association plan. We've committed to over $1.1 million in affordable housing, public housing, specifically, and again, with what Nick's gonna touch on in just a second. We have worked together as a city and a county to bring the right people to the table, because look, you cannot build your way out of affordable housing a dozen units a year at a time. There's gotta be transformational change. Your city's moved forward with the Northwood Center. That's not to say it's gonna be a neighborhood or it's gonna be manufacturing, but all options are on the table. You have a commission that is thinking big, that is thinking bold. To specifically answer your question, we are investing money, millions and millions of dollars in neighborhoods for re not only revitalization, but also for a brand new product we're working in conjunction with the county, and I appreciate Nick's uh, leadership on this issue as well. So, Nick, I didn't want to steal too much of your thunder because you really have been uh, a true leader on this issue, but I'll let you jump in now. Thank you. First of all, thank you, Lila, for, for being for us. Wanda, Cynthia, Sharon, how's everybody doing? Mayor, always a pleasure. I think you hit all the, good, all the big points there. I think when it comes to affordable housing, the city and county have taken on uh, tremendous efforts on trying to move the ball forward, especially when it comes to what's going on at Orange Avenue. Um, our Brenda Williams, who is the uh, CEO or Executive Director of the Housing Authority, has worked well with the county and the city to bring about change or, or, or a revitalization of the Orange Avenue apartments. Um, what you'll be seeing here in the near future as a result of us getting selected by the state for some funding will be a whole new new vision, new scene over on in the Orange Avenue apartments that will that will include um, mixed income, uh, mixed race and, and everything else within that area. So you won't be a, a situation where everyone that's living in that area will be will be subsidized housing housing or federal housing. Some people would would there will actually pay uh, market rate rates for the units. But more more so than that, what you'll get to see is a different look for the South Side as a whole in that area. The vision there, when I went to New Orleans to, to visit some of the Columbia Park over there in the ninth, I think it was Ninth Ward, 
was imagine there's no reason that people who live in Orange Avenue apartments or the people who live in, in, in uh, Springfield can't have the same look of housing as the people who live in Southwood or the people who live in Killorn or the people who live in, uh, in Oxbound. There's no reason that that, 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 that can't be achieved, uh, but we have to find a way to take the, the housing that's there and transform it into a housing that's, that's suitable for a family to live in in today's times. And so we worked hard. Uh, we put together, as, as the mayor has, has said, we put together a bunch of committees to tell us how we should go about this thing. Purpose Built has come in and done a tremendous job of helping us, helping us throughout the process. Uh, the, South, the South City Foundation is, is, is going to be our core backing organization who's doing some good work there. And we're proud of the product that's going to be placed on Orange Avenue in the Orange Avenue apartment area when that, re, when that revitalization happens. And so I hope those residents there are just as excited and I uh, hope that the community can be excited about, about some of the things we're doing. As far as, you know, the, the things that are going on with the George Floyd cases and things like that, you know, I think that's, that's something that we as a community have to come together on. I, I was actually, I posted something on my page on Facebook probably a few days ago. And a friend of mine who was on the total opposite uh, opposite side politically, uh, who, you know, we probably don't agree on a whole bunch of things, but he, he, he inserted some, some, some questions about the spending done at the city and the county level. And I told him, I said, look, I said, you know, as far as I'm concerned with what I've seen, I don't see much waste when it comes to what we do here in our city and our county. I think we do a very good job of making sure that the, that the tax dollars that you give us, that we spend in a very, very thoughtful way and frugal way. And um, he came back and he said, look, he said, I don't, he said, I don't care necessarily to, to debate it. I just want us to come together and try to come up with solutions on how we can fix things. Now, this is a man who, who if you asked him, you know, if we, we agreed on a lot of things politically, he'd probably tell you no. But he was willing to sit at the table and have a conversation about about solutions that we could we could implement to have our county come together. And so he gave me his number and I texted him and uh, we text back and forth. And, and when it came down to it, he told me, he said, look, man, he said, this is, and this is a white gentleman. He said, you wouldn't know it. He, he does well. He's very fluent. He said, but my father died when I was very young and my father fig figure was a black man. Now, I, I'm telling you, it, it blew my mind because most people who would have read the post and, and the dialogue going back and forth, or even some of his posts, would have never placed that statement with this man. But what he said, he said, I don't necessarily care about black, white, or indifferent. I just want us all to come together. I recognize the fact that as a community, we need to come together. It's that kind of thing. That, that's something that I can't do as a county commissioner. That's something that I can't do for my seat in, in county commission. The mayor can't make that happen as mayor of Tallahassee. I'll see in Tallahassee. The sheriff can't have that, make that happen as the sheriff. That's two individuals within our community that may not think alike on everything, but can come together on a, come together to have an effect on a common cause that we both can recognize that needs to be combated within our community. That's, that's, you can't, you can't replace that. That's, that's something that we as a community have to start. That's a way that we have to start thinking. And that's something that we have to consider, that it doesn't matter what your political persuasion is. It doesn't matter, you know, if you, you know, black, white, green or gray. There's certain things as human beings that we can all see happening around us that if we care enough about our community, 
that we should be able to come together and have an effect on. That, 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 there's no politics in that. That's just all love that we should know for another human being within our community. So I don't, I don't necessarily have an answer. Well, it's, it's not that I don't have an answer. The focus of my answer is not on necessarily what we can do and, as government to try to combat the racial uh, divide that we may have in our community. The answer that I have that is what can we do as a community to do that? Because that's what's most important. It shouldn't be what me and John does. It should be what we do with our neighbors and within our neighborhoods or our neighbors. They don't even live in our neighborhood. They live on the other side of town that, that, that matters most. So Commissioner, um, thank you for that. But let me, on behalf of some of the folks that are typing in questions, let me push back a little and say, but isn't there a role for government in leading by example in, in showing uh, the community that you too are working across those political aisles and across governments to facilitate and put forward solutions related to all things, the pol- police brutality, housing, um, concerns over racial inequity in business in Leon County community. No, you, you hit the nail on the head. That is the place that we can play. So when it comes to that, the reason I made the statement I said is, is that oftentimes people see myself, they see John, they see the rest of the, the elected officials in, in Leon County, and they don't see a human being. What they see is an elected official. They dehuman, dehumanize us almost by, by, the, by the fact that we do carry this, this, this power of a vote on a, on a board of seven or five that can, that can affect change within our community. But the thing is, is that, and the, and the thing I want people to realize is that we're human beings with feelings and we also have opinions and we also have thoughts on how we feel about things. So you're right. As, a, as an elected official, I think the, 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 the other piece of that story that happened with the gentleman and, and me having to exchange on Facebook was a lot of people saw what he had to say, but just as many people saw how I responded to it. And so I hope that that, that shows an example of it doesn't matter if he votes against me or if he sees things differently, differently than me politically. What matters is that we're willing to work together to affect change. That's one thing I can say, city and county, you know, all, all 12 of us, we do very well. Even when we don't agree on things, we find a way to understand both points and take, and take our vote considerate of the opposition's point of view. And I, and I enjoy that about being on the city, on the, on the county commission and working with the city commission. So that, that's something that you're right. I think we can't get into, as local officials, we can't get into some of the partisan issues that rule the day when we are, we are here to make common sense, good decisions for our city and county. None of our seats are partisan. Now, now, granted, you know, if you if, if elected official wants to stand on a federal partisan issue and, and and fight hard for it, that issue more than likely is never going to make its way down to our level. So if you have a, if you have an opinion on that, so be it, have that opinion. But when it comes to whether or not masks are, uh, masks are going to be mandatory in Leon County, that has nothing to do with the federal issue that you may have an issue that you may have a, that you may have an opinion on. That's all what you want to do here locally. And that's a nonpartisan issue. That's not Republican, Democrat, black, white, or indifferent. How do you feel about it? And so those are the decisions that we have to make that, that can't be, well, you know, because the conservative side doesn't want us to wear masks, we're just not going to do it. Or 
you know, because uh, liberals or Democrats says so, it's just not a good decision. No, we, we take all the information in that we have to make a decision, and we make a decision based off of the information, nothing more, nothing less. And if it costs you a few people that don't agree with you, so be it. But if it's the right thing to do, you have to make that decision. Let me bring uh, Cynthia in here. Cynthia, you've been with the city of Tallahassee for how long? 29 years plus. So certainly in, in your 29 years with the city, you've heard many concerns and you've uh, been part of teams that have implemented equality-focused uh, programs at the city. Yes. What are some of the ones that you think have worked best? Okay, so you've, you're right. Over the 29 years, I've had quite a bit of opportunity to contribute to a community that I love. And one thing that I know you just asked a question about things that we do together with the county. The, I think the CHSP process is one that is a award-winning, a model for other communities that we do together, that we recognize the need to fund our human services program. We fund, uh, the city funds about $4 million a year in that program, and this year added another um, $600,000 to that program. Uh, another one that I think, you know, it's, it's important that we look at equality, but I believe it's important that it's, we move beyond equality into equity. And until we're willing to have those real frank, honest conversations that there are parts of our community that need more assistance than others to get where we all need to go to, to have a really resilient community, until we're willing to do that, you know, I think we do have some challenges. Our Tempo program is another great example. It's a program that's targeted at addressing uh, a, what, a call, what may be called across the community, uh, across the country, are disconnected youth. I like to see them as opportunity youth. And that's where we engaged over a thousand youth who had left school without a GED or a diploma, who uh, were not employed or were significantly underemployed. So we have a thousand active youth in our program. Uh, and the, they typically have had some interaction with law enforcement uh, that was with the uh, criminal justice system. We have no recidivism uh, in, among this group. These young people, uh, we just graduated our largest cohort of 34 members from the program. And when you implement programs like that, some would ask, is it fair to do that? Should we be helping in that way? Should we be helping to pay for GED courses? Should we be arranging transportation? Should we be arranging childcare? And I would argue yes, because if we want to have a real uh, a city where everybody has an opportunity to contribute, we understand uh, that we don't all start from the same place, but if we can work to get everybody there and make a difference for our overall community, we certainly should be doing that. And then you have the opportunity to affect generational poverty. So when a young person shows up for graduation and they have their children, their siblings, and their parents in tow, and oftentimes it's the first high school graduate in the family. And we have had the good fortune of having siblings come back and parents come back and say, if my child can do it, I can do it. And just imagine the message that sends to the young child in that family that we live in a community that cares, but if they do their best and given the right opportunity and the right resources, and they leverage them properly, they can have a better life for themselves and they can be better contributing members for our community. So those are the programs I like to highlight. And Cynthia, the city, as I saw in one of the uh, clips, I believe, you've implemented an office of diversity and inclusion. Is that internal focused or external? Can you elaborate a little? Yes, I think that, uh, thank you for, um, for, for allowing me to speak on that. That is uh, the latest of a, of a demonstration of a commitment 
to make sure that we have a diverse workforce, one that reflects the community that we serve. No matter what community you're from, you should be able to look at our organization and see yourself reflected in the organization. It's, while the primary focus is making sure we have a workforce that reflects the community, because we believe that's important in order to influence the service that's provided to our community. That it's important we have that. We have an unprecedented number of nine members of our leadership team are African-Americans. And I've been there long enough to see the first African-American um, city manager appointed, the first African-American police chief, first African-American um, city attorney appointed. But under this current leadership, when the city manager establishes a department that focuses on diversity and inclusion and have that report directly to him, it says that that's an important issue in this, this organization. We look at our police department. And for the first time, we have two of our four highest ranking positions. Our two deputy chiefs are African-Americans. Again, it reinforces that commitment. Our community, particularly police, need to see, the, the community needs to be able to look at the police force and see minority representation there at all levels. Are we perfect? No. Do we have more work to do? Absolutely. But are we making good strides? Yes, we are. And we are held accountable for making sure. Uh, and then it's important to note that having a diverse organization does not mean that you compromise your organization, your values, your work, your experience, your requirements in any way. Everybody's held accountable. We have another, I think, a very significant um, uh, appointment in our director of underground utilities and public infrastructure. We have an African-American female. That's, you know, you're in the industry. That's pretty unprecedented. And she is one of the strongest uh, professionals that I know. But I see that this progress has taken place a long way from when my father, my first introduction to the city as an employer was my father was a police officer at a time when the diversity strategy was, if an African-American leaves, you replace them with an African-American. At a time when my father could not even enforce the law in Kurlan Estates because he was an African-American and he was not trusted. The blue uniform was not enough for him to be trusted by a community he was charged with serving. We have come a long way from there and we're making great progress. Diversity and inclusion will make sure that we have a trained workforce, that we have our pulse on the workforce, that we're making sure we uh, create that diverse and inclusive workforce. Thank you, Cynthia. So let me circle here, close the loop on, on this particular issue before we uh, go to a different topic with uh, you and the mayor. I'd invite both of you to comment on this. It's a hard question, but I'm going to ask it because others have, um, have asked it of me. Do you think the fact that you now have three African-American uh, city commissioners that there's even more pressure for you to lead by example and, and take a look. I love what you're doing and I hope the community appreciates the importance of what you're doing internally uh, with regard to workforce because that does lead by example. But you know, what are you doing in the areas of procurement and are you um, particularly even more sensitive to this because you do have one of the most diverse city commissions in the country? Yes, and that's, that's a good question as well. I can tell you that being an African-American and being a leader in the organization, I've been there uh, 24 years, I entered at a uh, supervisory level. The expectation, even when we have a single African-American on the commission is significant. I believe that it's important that all of us are held accountable, whether it's an African-American or not. 
but certainly I can tell you that there's a weight on the African-American members of the uh, commission to make sure that they're paying attention to the issues that impact minority communities. But by the same token, I don't think the mayor gets a pass on that. I don't think uh, any of our white directors or our white elected officials should get a pass on that because we should all care. And I work in an organization where I do believe that is the case. We should all care that there are segments of our community where they need more help, that they may lack some of the resources. The, the money that was provided to bond, the $6.4 million, is a manifestation of that. And that's done not by three members of the, of the uh, commission, but by the entire commission. There was unanimous support for that. And for the housing that we do through the um, Habitat for Humanity, so far we've built 12 homes, paid for, and city employees have built that. All of our commissioners have been shoulder to shoulder. To that point, let me bring in the mayor here. I think you set him up nicely. Uh -oh. Do you, Mr. Mayor, um, feel less of the weight? No, I think we all feel pressure as a commission, but the pressure that we feel is to do the best that we possibly can for this community. Look, I am proud to serve on the first city commission in 150 years that has a minority majority commission for the first time in the history of the city of Tallahassee two African-American women serving on this commission. And look, we all bring our life experiences to the table, which I think is so very unique. Okay, I can remember a meeting just a couple of days ago. Actually, I think it was two weeks, the two meetings ago, Cynthia, as well, was that two and a half, three weeks ago, where there was an issue that came up, and I'm listening to my three colleagues talk about growing up as an African-American in the segregated South. Their lived experience brings a different perspective than my perspective, obviously, uh, to the table during discussions. That is a perspective that I wholeheartedly embrace, that I learn from each and every day. Um, and I recognize that we all have our temperaments and our talents to bring to the table. That's what makes us stronger. That's what makes us want to do better. To answer your question, do we feel the political pressure to enact change? No, the pressure is placed upon ourselves to do the best we possibly can for this community. And I think you're going to see your city commission rise to the occasion. Now, let me throw caution into the wind. If you expect the city commission to come up with the solutions and solve generational issues, systematic racism that has been in our government from the local, state, and federal level since the creation, in some instances, uh, of the government, that's not going to happen overnight. And that's not going to be just one governmental entity that can solve it all. But what you're going to find is a city commission that does work, and I agree with Commissioner Maddox said, works hand-in-hand -hand with our county commission in our school district. And we're going to work with the state and the federal government to do the very best that we possibly can to bring about positive change in our community. Thank you both. Let me come uh, to Sharon. Sharon, both commissioners, both commissioners made a reference to others in the community having a role in this uh, conversation and in providing solutions. So can you talk about Leadership Tallahassee, what the purpose is, who the members are, and where your role is in the community? Absolutely. Um, I have really enjoyed the dialogue so far. Um, and I've written quite a few notes. Um, there are so many nuggets and so much information that's been shared. 
And this is an excellent question. I think what it shows is that um, one's commitment to equality uh, and particularly diversity and inclusion is an individual commitment. Uh, and one of the ways that um, we have hundreds of folks that have exercised that commitment is through participating in the Leadership Tallahassee program. Um, Leadership Tallahassee is a program of the Tallahassee Chamber, uh, and the mission of Leadership Tallahassee is to uh, cultivate a diverse network of emerging um, and seasoned leaders that are committed to uh, ensuring the best for, for our city. Uh, and our community. And so we do that through a number of different programs. Uh, as uh, Mayor Daly mentioned, um, our adult program, I went through that program about 17 years ago, which meant that I was uh, about 13 when I did. Um, but <laughs> um, I went through that program um, th 17 years ago. Uh, and in my time as an active member of Leadership Tallahassee, I have seen individuals make that the commitment to um, equality in our community and learning about um, parts of the community that they would never have learned about or seen, uh, hearing from uh, diverse voices that they never would have had an opportunity to hear from. And just to give you an example, uh, Leadership Tallahassee Class 37 completed uh, their graduation a few days ago, and uh, we had voices like Talithia Edwards, who uh, has done a tremendous job in our community. She, along with uh, Nicole Everett and folks like um, uh, just, just a number of people who have had an opportunity to share with bankers and lawyers uh, and architects and developers that they never would have had an opportunity to meet and become friends with. To me, that's how we make change in our community, one person at a time. Uh, and we actually, as a program, feed into uh, we feed leaders into the community, and those are the people that that make change. Those are the people like uh, Mayor Daly uh, and Commissioner Maddox that are on the call that affect change um, and really understand that this is a diverse community, and all voices need to be and have to be at the table uh, in order to make the change that's needed. Sharon, many of your members are are actually uh, business community here in Tallahassee, right? What do you think? they believe the role of government is in the equality of life conversation? That's a, that's a great question as well. Um, one of the things that I'm finding in the conversations that are taking place um, amongst the business community, um, I also have an opportunity to sit on the chamber board as uh, chair of Leadership Tallahassee. Uh, and it has become apparent over particularly the last several years that there is a direct correlation between um, the health of our community uh, and the health of our business community. Um, folks recognize that. I can't say that that's always been the case, that if, if we work um, as a business community to improve outcomes like crime and education and health, that those outcomes make Tallahassee um, more attractive to business and industry, which um, the economic development is a huge driver for jobs uh, in our community. And so again, I'm, I'm pleased uh, we have a, a long way to go, but I am pleased that the conversation has risen to the point where the business community recognizes the importance and recognizes the correlation between government uh, and making sure that all of our citizens um, have the best and the best opportunities that are possible. Thank you. So speaking of safety, Wanda, I've gotten two questions here. One with regard to safety of the protesters, which I'll come back to, but can you talk about your work and partnership with the 
MIT uh, study group with regard to prisoners that are um, trying to re-enter, what your work in trying to um, facilitate the work re-entry program of prisoners, and why that's important to this conversation at all. Certainly, thank you. I've enjoyed the conversation thus far. I've, I've uh, heard a lot and had a lot of thoughts and ideas uh, relating to county and city working together and Commissioner Maddox and Mayor um, Daly, I'm going to give you some things you forgot in just a moment, specifically the Community Land Trust and other areas where you both work together on to bring you know, other housing initiatives to the community. But specifically as it relates to criminal justice, um, recently Leon County, with the help of our chair, Commissioner Deloge, participated with the MIT in, an, I guess, a study of reentry programs and how our community uh, would examine our current reentry activities and identify ways to improve in that process to ensure that those who are transitioning from the criminal justice system or from prisons and transitioning back into the community, how to make them more successful. I think the key word um, that comes to mind for me on all of this is economic stability. I think it drives our community. I think there is no one, whether they have never had any encounters with the prison system or the criminal justice system or not, would recognize the value of being able to sustain yourself and your family, the dignity that it brings to your life in terms of being able to support yourself and, and one's loved ones. That's the key to ending generational poverty, as Cynthia spoke of recently, as well as making our community more vital and vibrant and improving the quality of life for all. So with MIT, what we did was look at our own um, internal practices and the programs that we support to help people, I guess, regain their footing in society. As you know, once, you may not know, but once someone goes to prison, you lose basically your identity. You become a number. You lose you know, access to resources that you may have had in, in many circumstances, and there's a disconnect with your family. So the current reentry programs that Leon County has invested in, along with uh, our partners in the criminal justice system and a number of community partners that are within the CHSP process, our nonprofits that Cynthia mentioned earlier, help us to help those individuals reestablish themselves in the community. So MIT looked at best practices around, um, along with us, looked at best practices around the country and identified some things that we could do to ensure um, a reduction in the recidivism rate among people who are returning to our community. And I don't have to tell you, you know, uh, this country spends over a trillion dollars a year on um, the criminal justice process from the law enforcement piece to the health services piece as well as the corrections piece. And so would it not be more feasible for us as a community if some of those monies could be put into revitalizing our community, growing our community, our wealth among people in the community? So it's just a matter of rethinking how we view that segment of our, our population, our community. There is a need, obviously, for criminal justice as well as law enforcement. No one would discount that. But is there a way to put more emphasis on those things that sustain life rather than devalue life once, once someone has paid their debt to society? So MIT was instrumental in helping us look at some options for that 
and we'll be working more closely with our board to present those ideas. We had a little interruption um, from the COVID pandemic, and so we all got a little sidetracked for a moment. But it was a wonderful experience. Let me pose this to the four of you, and obviously, Sharon, jump in if you have an opinion uh, on this as well. But so, Wanda, let's go from there to the notion that the police should be defunded. What does defunding the police mean to each of you? Mr. Mayor, since the police department is right under the city of Tallahassee, do you want to speak to that first and then we'll go to Cynthia? When I hear people say defund the police, from what I understand, they want municipal governments and county governments to take money out of a law enforcement budget and put it into other areas of a municipal, a county, or a state budget. Okay, that is, that is what I am understanding to defund the police is to reduce the budget, whether it's parts of a law enforcement budget, but you're taking it out and you're putting it elsewhere, or you're just getting rid of the police altogether. Now, I support Tallahassee Police Department, and I support the men and women of the Tallahassee Police Department. I support our Sheriff's Department, and I support law enforcement. Now, that does not in any means discount that uh, we all want to be the best that we can. Your Tallahassee Police Department is the second longest accredited police uh, department in the United States of America. Not many people know that. I have sat across the table in the most recent weeks from representatives of TPD that says, hey, we do want the best and the brightest in training out there. We do want to evolve into the 21st century police department that everybody wants us to be. Please help us provide us those tools. But, but let me be clear. I do support our police department. I do think, uh, you know, for one second, if we think about how they conducted uh, law enforcement in our community during the protest, Lila, you were going to mention this. I was extremely proud of how our law enforcement uh, conducted themselves during the protest. In fact, when I saw pictures of those individuals protesting, um, praising the Tallahassee Police Department for keeping them safe, during the events in Tallahassee, that made me proud. That showed us that, yes, this is a community that can definitely support freedom of speech, frustration in the streets, protest in the streets, do it right, and our police department did do a wonderful job as well. So, yeah, this is one of those issues where this is, this is one that we're dealing with as a community. Um, I can tell you that your city commission has already committed to fully funding the police department this year in the budget cycle. We had that conversation at the budget workshop uh, two weeks ago, and all five of us uh, did fully fund the police department. There wasn't a vote against it. So that decision has been out there. But of course, we are all committed, along with the chief in the police department, to evolving into you know, the true 21st century law enforcement department that we all want to be. And Cynthia- did, did, that, did that make sense? Did I just blabber, Lila? Or did, what, do, do you understand where I'm coming from? I understand the point, but I guess that brings back, so again, uh, pushing back a bit with regard to the folks that are asking the question, Cynthia, are there additional funding considerations then to put programs in place that address the notion that, you know, you should embrace um, a 21st century community building model, not just from a law enforcement model, right, Mayor Daly, but you know, going back to what Wanda said, does the city need to find or redirect funding that will bridge the gap 
between what the community is asking for and what the role of law enforcement is. Let me okay. jump in. And Cynthia, let me jump in real quick. Did you back me up on this? Because let me be very clear, Lila. Yes. And we are redirecting. If you look at the incredible work that your city commission has done as the governing body of the CRA, where we have completely retooled the mission, gotten back the basics, and literally are investing in our neighborhoods, whether it's Griffin Heights, whether it's Frenchtown, the Greater Frenchtown Neighborhood Association, whether it's uh, the Greater Bond Neighborhood Association, whether it's in this investing in superstructure for mass transit, which definitely benefits our, our community, whether it's specifically investing in public housing, absolutely. What I think I'm trying to say is, is that there is a conversation to be had where you do not have to be either or. There is a conversation to be had. And as leaders, I think it's our responsibility, and I think Nick would agree, to help facilitate this conversation. That's one of the reasons why I love the Village Square and what you're doing tonight. You all are facilitating this conversation. It is okay to support your police department in what they're trying to do to make our community great. And it's also okay to say, we're not doing enough, whether it's housing, whether it's equity, whether it's job creation, and we have to do better. I think there's room in our community and across the nation, quite frankly, to, to embrace all of this frustration and everything and be able to move forward. Uh, Cynthia, I didn't mean to cut you off. I do apologize. Thank you. If I could briefly, um, defunding of the police means to me is that we take a critical evaluation, a critical look at the department to see if there are activities or functions in the police department that would be better suited in perhaps some other, uh, some other department. I can tell you that there are some functions that in a lot of what the community is asking for in terms of the kind of focusing work. We have our juvenile services unit that works with uh, some of the, the, the very clients that Wanda's talking about. We work with uh, youth offenders, some of the most uh, violent of those youth offenders trying to uh, keep them from recommitting a crime, getting them on track through our, te our temporal program with uh, educational opportunities, our victims advocates who do more than just core policing work. So the idea in my mind that a law enforcement officer cannot bring that kind of compassionate and care and skill to a job, I reject that. Because again, I, I think I told you my dad was a police officer. And so I knew about community policing as a child through the work that my dad and his, his co-workers did at that time. They knew us, they got out of their cars, they walked, they talked to us, they knew the issues in our communities, they knew I needed to be home when the street light came on. So our officer rode through the, through the neighborhood, Officer Woodson. So when we look at trying to make a comp take a comprehensive look at it, police really shouldn't be just viewed as only the bad news bears. I only see you when there's something bad, but they are the ones who provide lunch. Uh, in some of our communities. Just last week or two weeks ago, our deputy chief and the department arranged lunch in the uh, Leon Arms area. Uh, they provide bikes and toys and, and things of those natures to kids for holidays. But I do think that we need to take a critical look at are there ways to uh, leverage, better leverage some of our programs that might be housed under the police department that could be better housed somewhere else in order to free up our, our law enforcement officers to do other things. I wanted to point out that the program that the mayor talks about, the $6.4 million in funding, I want you to know that that started out of 
uh, as a public safety program. That's exactly what it is. I worked with the police chief and we came up with a program that says we cannot police our, our way out of this. Every time somebody sees a police officer, it does not need to be related to an arrest or an incident. How can we work proactively with our community? So the Neighborhood First program, which was developed by the neighborhood in conjunction with the police department, that listed public safety as a priority for them and, the, and an expectation that they worked collectively to build, collaboratively to build relationships between the community and law enforcement. So when people think about policing, I want you to think about this program where we have at least three of our neighborhoods that are saying it's public safety is important, Here's what we're going to do as the people who live in this community. Here's what we're going to do as the business owners in this community. And here's where we think government plays a role. So I see it as a retooling and a recommitment on everybody's part that uh, for a safe, resilient community, all of us have a role to play, including the police department. So I, I do support law enforcement. I'm, I'm from a law enforcement family. I married into one. And um, I support Tallahassee Police Department particularly. But I do believe, like everyone else, we have some work to do. Thank you, Cynthia. So, Commissioner Maddox, let me bring you into this conversation. I interviewed um, Sheriff McNeil last week, and he spoke about his um, office attempts to roll into um, a partnership with the mental health institutions here in Leon County and uh, the local health departments to address funding and uh, partnering on issues of mental health so that police and sheriff deputies are not dealing with community mental health issues. Where are you on all of that? And, and is there funding in your budget to support that as well? For the people who don't know, I want people to understand, when it comes to the county commission, the sheriff is not like the city commission. Though the funding, though we approve the funding, the sheriff actually asks for what he needs for his budget. And it actually can go as far as suing the county are petitioning the state to get what he needs if we refuse what he's asking for in his budget. But what I will say is that I, I have total confidence in what Sheriff, Sheriff McNeil is doing. I think one thing when we talk about defunding as a whole, I think somebody, I think either Cynthia or John said it, the mayor said it, and that what we need to think about is um, when you're asking about defunding, what are you really asking for? You're asking for funding to go down one place to increase in another. I think you can achieve both. I think the mayor might have said it. What we need to think about is what the, the real question is, what resources are you putting towards not just detaining, but rehabilitating? What resources are you putting towards, towards making sure that people don't even get to the point where they enter into the justice system? Are you putting as much effort into that as you are in the policing portion of your budget? I'm going, to let, I'm going to let one speak to the specifics, but I'll tell you from my standpoint, I believe that's, a, that's an important question that we all have to ask as we look, look, look at our budgets here in, uh, in local government, but not just local government, state government, federal government. Thank you, Wanda. Certainly. Um, to your first question regarding defund the police, my interpretation is that it's more an issue of how funding is aligned rather than defunding. I don't think we've ever really looked at or considered how much responsibility over time we've moved to law enforcement. Law enforcement is called to address everything from uh, mental health issues when someone is, is in crisis and acting out. No one calls TMH. They generally call law enforcement. 
you know, sometimes there are issues with children that are disruptive who might be suffering uh, with behavioral issues. Uh, teenagers, law enforcement is called, not a, a support service or a, a healthcare provider. So I think we have to be sensitive to, we, over, over the years, we've asked law enforcement to take on some roles that are, are best managed by our social, ser social service entities. I mean, that's the reality of it. We have put pressure on law enforcement to wear many, many hats. And so we may, when I hear defunding, it's have we added more responsibility to law enforcement that is, is really best managed by some other entity, be it government or a private entity. If, if I could, to Wanda's point there, a lot of times it, you, you need that relationship between the police department, uh, referral service, to have a partner on board with you because when we receive right. the call oftentimes, it's a call of an activity that's taking place. Nobody's already made an assessment that you're dealing with a mental illness issue. They just Correct. say a person's throwing or a person's climbing or a person's doing those Correct. kind of things. But if we I utilize agree. the early integration of 211 and some of the social services like what you're talking about, Wanda, I think that is the best opportunity uh, right. for us to move forward. Right. And to, to further uh, Commissioner Maddox's point and Lila's question, Leon County recently um, formed a partnership with Appalachia and the Sheriff's Department to help fund what's called the FIRST program. And that is a program where law enforcement is um, partnering with um, representatives from Appalachia Center to intervene at the earliest point possible to help divert people from jail and prisons to the mental health services in the community. We all know that it is cheaper to provide services in the community than in an incarcerated system. We know that if we preserve our jail bed space for just those people who are a true threat to our public safety, then the entire community is better off. So yes, Commissioner, you recently voted to support a grant funded program that would allow us um, to provide those support services to the sheriff. So that's one of the ways that we all partner together. Thank you, thank you. So Sharon, does the business community have an opinion or has the chamber weighed in on the notion of defunding the police, which I think collectively it sounds like all the panelists agree that that may be the incorrect term for what's really being requested, which is a reallocation or, or greater allocation for community support programs and um, finding initiatives that bridge the gap in the community related to inequities, right? I see lots of heads shaking. I'm assuming you all agree wrong term. Yeah. Sharon, does, does the business uh, community weigh in on this issue? You know, it's interesting. And I, I was going to say this um, earlier in our dialogue, and I appreciate being able to be a panelist um, representing Leadership Tallahassee. Um, a program of the chamber, but as an authentic leader, I always have to show up um, first as a black woman. And so uh, just to answer your question, not on behalf of Leadership Tallahassee or the chamber, I think that um, this example is a, a prime example of um, the fact that we live in a time where a lot of divisiveness is fueled by sound bites. And to use a word like defund is only a few characters, it's quick to say, but you really have to unpack it in order to understand it. And so I've had conversations with um, folks who hear protesters um, and others use the term defund poli the police 
and then they automatically assume that that means that we would have no no police. And so, again, not to speak on behalf of either organization, but I, I, I really appreciate the conversation and the Village Square for, for allowing the dialogue so we all can better understand what that means and the complexities that go along with governance. It's, it's not um, just that simple. You just can't take um, action based upon one group's opinion. Um, your, the role of government is we're representative in nature and that you have to take into account um, the various um, ideas, the opinions of a lot of different stakeholders. And so again, I, I like the dialogue because it shows government at work. Thank you. Hey, before you yeah, we have to consider when we're talking about this whole defunding conversation. I, I actually got this from the sheriff uh, when some of the protest stuff was going on is policy is just as fun, just as important as important as funding. Um, what what the sheriff asked during a, a a meeting I was in, he said, "How many people know what the what the use of force policy is for your sheriff's office or your police department?" There's actually policies policies that go in place that say you have to ter- take certain steps before you escalate to the point of using force. So while we talk about the funding side of it. That funding really caused what happened with George Floyd. That, that that wasn't a funding issue. That was a policy issue. Did those officers take the proper steps of, of escalation to get to the point of excessive force that was used? And even if they did, the force that they took wasn't warranted to the to the extent that they actually took it. I don't think there's anywhere in any book that will tell you that that spending that much time on a man's neck is 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 in anybody's force book as far as police, sheriff, in any nation or any, any state within this nation. And so I think what people also have to pay attention to, and I'm, I'm glad to see that Tallahassee they actually went through the process of creating the, um, uh, the Citizens Board for the Police Department. I believe that's, John, I'm sure you're gonna speak on it and correct me if I'm wrong on the language of it. But I think one of the things that they, they'll look at and one of the things that the sheriff has said, he would allow people to look at within his Within his, uh, within his office, his sheriff's office, is that policy of what it takes to a court officer to get to a point of using force. But not just that policy, what other policies do we have in law enforcement that each officer is governed by? And if, are they going by those policies? That's an important conversation that we need to have, not just here, but across the nation as we see things happen, like George Floyd and things like that. I don't want people to get so caught up on the fact of, you know, funding, funding, funding. Hmm. Thank you, Commissioner. And in that regard, Mr. Mayor, I have two questions out of the chat box that I'd love for you to address. One is the uh, city has established uh, the Citizens Review Committee as it relates to uh, police reform and police action, if you could address that. The second question, uh, and I open this to uh, Commissioner Maddox as well, is there are some critics of the Black Lives mural that's gone up in the intersection of uh, Gaines and Railroad. Some of the critics, according to the question, uh, some of the critics are saying that that was a very superficial attempt at addressing racial inequity. Do you want to speak to both of those things, Mr. Mayor? Sure. Wait, hold on, Lila. What was the first question again? (laughs) (laughs) Your your Citizens Review Committee. (laughs) Sure. 
Let me also touch on something that Nick said. You know, one of the things that I was really pissed with the police department, I mean, I don't have a law enforcement ground. And when all the protests and everything that were going on, and in particular, former President Barack Obama came out with eight points that he recommended mayors across the United States look and review with their police departments to make sure uh, that these were easy, eight easy things that should be taken into consideration immediately. So the first thing I do, Cynthia, you remember, I called up you and Reese and the chief and, uh, and, and had a quick powwow saying, tell me exactly where we are with these eight bullets. Nick, one of them was the use of force, the chokehold in particular, uh, the very um, 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 the, the very same hold uh, that was used in the George Floyd incident in, in his death, okay? That's been outlawed at TPD for years, years. And in fact, we went point by point at, and I was very pleased to sit back and, and have the chief go, we haven't done that in years. We haven't done that in years. That is not in our policy. We haven't done that in years. And it brought a lot of comfort. And it, and it goes on to a lot of what Sharon was talking about as well, about really diving in on the conversation. So you, you have people um, that would jump in my face and say, you got to get rid of the child. I can't believe you got to get rid of the chokeholds daily. As mayor, you got to set the example. And when they take a breath, then we'd come back and say, we did that 10 years ago. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. It's not in play. Rest assured, it's not in play. There's a lot to be addressed, but this in particular is not in play. So I agree. We get so caught up, and Tron made the great point. We get caught up with buzzwords and buzz phrases, you know, defund the pl- What does that mean? And it's only through the real conversations that I think uh, it matters. Police review board, I think, is the right direction to go. That was actually a recommendation, uh, and the chief has been involved from the very beginning. Uh, we have his citizens advisory committee that as soon as he was appointed, the police chief of the Tulsa Police Department, he came forward and said, this is something that I want to create. The city commission has taken it the next step and said, we're looking at a review board. Now, let me be very clear, Lila. There's a lot of people that think or expect or want a review board to, quite frankly, have more powers that we do not even have the jurisdiction to give. For instance, the city commission does not have the jurisdiction to give a police review board a subpoena power. Uh, that would have to be granted by the legislature. So, you know, a lot of times people come and they're like, you did not do enough with the review board. Well, that's because what you're asking for us to do cannot be granted by the city commission, has to be granted by the state. But do we want full transparency on the local level with law enforcement? Absolutely. Do we want a citizen's review board that's appointed by the city commission to be a part of reviewing every single policy top to bottom? Absolutely. Do we want the chief to be able to put together an advisory committee also of people that want to come and help TPD become the best that it wants to be? Absolutely. And I saw, and I support it all. When it comes to the Black Lives Matter mural, look, I am a true believer in the slogan Black Lives Matter. I think it's important for people to hear the mayor of Tallahassee say, yes, Black Lives Matter. And let me be clear, this is not a, a, a one or another Of course, there's not a single person I know that does not believe in the intrinsic value of all human life. I mean, let's just get that out of the way. However, I do think that phrases do matter. And in particular, Black Lives Matter does recognize to me that we have got social inequities that need, must be addressed in society. Whether it's the rate of incarceration of people of color versus white people, whether it's home ownership in our community, whether it's arrest rates, whether it's job inequity. I mean, we can go down the line. 
the message Black Lives Matter that you see from the city of Tallahassee, in my mind, is no different than when Coach Willie Simmons or Coach Mike Norvell stands with their football teams and said Black Lives Matter. Or when Dr. Robinson or John Thrasher of the presidents of their university stand up and say Black Lives Matter. Or the president of any university in the state of Florida that I have seen stand up and say Black Lives Matter. Or the nod from the National Baseball League, NFL, NBA, National Hockey League that all have recognized the injustices that have been going on and stand up and say Black Lives Matter. Or the corporations across the country. Sharon, I was sitting three nights ago and I watched a Sprite commercial. Coca-Cola Company recognizes that Black Lives Matter and we will do better as a community. So I think that people need to sit back and actually think about the phrase Black Lives Matter and how we can all come together. And by the way, let me be very clear. The stencil in the intersection was not an idea of the city manager or the assistant city manager of the city commission. This was actually a community-generated idea that they brought to our attention. And there was a lot of people that were interested in working on this. And we thought that this was a great way to bring town together. And so we decided to move forward with it. And I think it was beautifully done. I went down there, had a chance uh, to see it uh, in the intersection. And, and I'm, I'm very proud of it as mayor of Tallahassee recognizing that there are people on the far left and people on the far right that are very upset with it and you're not gonna make everybody happy. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Commissioner Maddox, your uh, video and audio went out just a few minutes ago and I felt like you had more to say. So I wanna give you that opportunity now. No, I think, I think you got the point. It's, it's, it basically lies in, I think just as much as we focus on funding, we also have to look at the policies that we have in place and have our citizens pay attention to those as well. On this issue of the Black Lives Matter mural, the question I have for those who are against it is simple. Does it not? Do Black Lives not matter? I mean, I, I actually, on my Facebook page, I, I put a, uh, put it up and I said, great, now show me. And uh, I, I got a call uh, from a friend of mine who said, Nick, what are you really implying by saying show me? Uh, what, what I'm implying there is that our community, again, I'm, I'm all focused. I'm, I'm a team guy. I, I'm a peace for life. I don't think anything tremendous happens without everybody coming together. We, we put that mural there, or, or the city put that mural there, uh, as a way of trying to bring a community together behind the cause, whether they agree with it or not. But again, my central question is, do black lives not matter? And because it's there, and, and whatever your opinion is, if you, if you can say all lives matter, you can also say black lives matter. And so to come together to that point to try to support this, this community initiative, why not? Why not? Why, 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 make it, why make it bigger than that? Why make it bigger than the fact that black lives do matter? And as a community, we have to recognize that. As a nation, we have to recognize that. Look at all of the, I mean, there's no way you can see some of the stuff that we've seen on film over the past five years and not understand some of the, some of the anger, some of the rage, some of the outrage, some of the disappointment that, have, that comes with, with, with some of our young people, black, white, or indifferent, over what, ha what we've seen happen to some people who are black. And I'm not saying it happens only exclusively to us. I'm, that's not what I'm implying at all. What I'm saying is that as a community, we have to recognize that no matter if you agree with it or not, black lives do matter. Just like every other life, just like every other life matters, 
within the city of Tallahassee and within this nation. Now, what are we going to do about it? So, Commissioner, let me, let me interrupt you there. I've, I've got a question in the Q&A box, and it's the question you just posed. Let me, let me put it back on you. The, the Q&A is, this is a very good discussion, but what practical actions can be taken now to show movement with social justice reform? So, show me, right? So, what people are really getting at is, we've heard the establishment of a committee, we see the Black Lives Matter mural, what can happen, you know, in the next 30 days, in the next 60 days? Can you provide uh, some comfort that this is at the forefront of the city and the county? I think some of the things that we've talked about on this, during this conversation today, I think that should tell you enough about how we feel as elected officials and as staff about how, how invested we are in making sure that everybody understands that we're doing what we can to deal with racial inequality, income inequality and other inequalities that may happen that may uh, happen within our community. Uh, this is not like, this is one of those things I talked about earlier. This is not a partisan issue. This is not a red, blue, and uh, liberal, conservative issue. This is a issue that we all need to deal with because whether they believe it or not, that racial inequality that 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 exists in in one neighborhood that may cause the food like a food uh, insecurity and things like that will eventually find its way to your front door. People will find a way to satisfy the needs they have to survive. And so I, I have no food in my house. I'm going to find some food. It's that, it's that simple. And so, you know, the food desert stuff, the, the, the ideas that, that, that are circulating in the city and the county, the, the, the way that the investments that we both made in, in the homeless shelter or, or the uh, party center, the investments that we've made in, in second harvest and things of that nature, those are all things that we're doing immediately to try to deal with some of the income inequality, racial inequality, and things like that in our neighborhood. It doesn't stop there, though. I think uh, I want to talk about some of the social justice things we're doing, uh, the study that we have going right now to try to do even more. The sheriff's office, and they just they just actually started a reentry program there at the sheriff's office with his with his funds that we're doing that we're going to do a ribbon cutting for. Everybody's paying attention now. Everybody's paying attention now. Resources are going to, to parts of our communities that, that some people have said that have never gone to those parts. Just the other day, Commissioner Proctor has fought for how many years, John, to, talk, to try to get us to move on the uh, fairground. Just the other day, we moved up the bonding for the fairground to the first, to the, to the first five years of, of our um, blueprint funding um, just by a unanimous vote. I believe, correct, Mayor, or something close to it. And that's $12 million is going to be invested in our fairground that's going to make uh, a difference on our south side. So when we talk about what, what things are being done, everybody's paying attention, and we're doing all we can. But I don't even think, you said, what, what start, I think the ball has already started to move. When you see the Black Lives Mural, when you think about some of the policy issues that we're talking about, when you see the protests and the fact that I think in large, the city and county are respecting the right for those people to protest and listening to what they are saying and responding to it. These are all things that are happening. It's not, it's not what can happen, it's what is happening in order to, for us to deal with so many inequalities that, that people deem to be within our community. Thank you, Commissioner, thank you. Sharon, you wanted to weigh in here? I did. Um, I wanna go back to um, the mayor's point that this, um, the Black Lives Matter mural was a citizen-led initiative. And again, it speaks to um, the role that everyday citizens and leaders play in pushing issues forward. It's also an interesting conversation because it brings up a, a, an issue that has come up before, particularly as it re relates to um, the use of public space for art. 
Um, and this is something even the, the business community, and again, I'm speaking for myself, but even the business community has expressed um, an interest and, and a push uh, as we've gone on various uh, excursions and trips to other cities, we've seen that um, the use of public space for art is something that is, is vitally important. So no matter that you may not like the statement, um, another way that I would encourage folks to look at it is this is definitely uh, a move in the, the right direction for our community. Um, I heard just the other day that there was uh, there's an effort to have, um, I believe, the Omega Lamplighters actually perform on the public space mural. To me, that says a lot um, because I, I'm a firm believer that a, a child can't be something that he or she has never seen. And so it's important that um, the children in our community see that and know that we live in a, in, a, in a community where Black lives do matter. And so that, again, is not just um, how we interact with the police, but also how we interact with one another. That message is a very powerful message and it touches uh, and it can it can go very far beyond just the policy discussion, beyond beyond just the programs that we're talking about today. So again, this was a citizen-led um, initiative, and and I commend the citizens, the women that really were at the forefront of pushing this issue forward. Thank you, Sharon. Wanda, I've got a um, chat question here that I want to pose to you. Is it possible we are trying to cure the symptom rather than the cause? We are dealing with third, fourth generation poverty, welfare, and violence. How are the children protected from repeated patterns? I, I think, Lila, that's a very good point. We have to get, yes, I, I think to some degree, if we are not deliberate, if we do not use the data to drive our decisions, then we will only address symptoms and never find a true cure. I think we are now beginning to see the impacts of intergenerational poverty. And as Commissioner Maddox stated, while none of us encourage violence or misconduct, it is human nature to want to survive. And so, again, it's an issue of where do we invest our resources? Do we want to see, if we say we want to improve the quality of life for all of our community, what does that mean in real, in real terms? What does quality of life look like for the citizens of the Southside community or the Bond community? I dare say the people in Southwood would see quality of life differently than the people, than the children in, in the Southside neighborhood. So again, look at the data. It will, it will tell you how we are doing in terms of addressing the needs of our of all of our community and if we are all tied together in that respect improving the life of of our youth changing that trajectory for the next generation of youth that they can realistically see themselves in leadership positions although their fathers and mothers you know were not they were either incarcerated or had menial um, minimum wage jobs and could barely make ends meet. What would help that child see their way out of that? And I think that's what's incumbent upon us to, to recognize that everyone in our community deserves more and to continue our efforts to collaborate and work together as a community to make those things happen. Thank you, Wanda. Cynthia, how can nonprofits, business, and church communities, along with individual citizens, play a part? 
Great. Um, again, again a, a great question. I, I think our CHSP process that I talked about earlier, the Community Human Services a Partnership is a great example of that. Those are uh, services that work towards eliminating and reducing some of those root causes that we talk about. So it's looking uh, to put programs in place for housing. Our temporal program, another one, we work in partnership with nonprofits, with the universities, and with Leon County Schools and other um, community partners to find employment for young people, uh, to uh, get the GEDs that they need, provide funding for that. So we're already doing some of that kind of work. But what we do know is it relates, as I told you, most, a lot of these programs started as an effort to reduce crime and recognizing that we could not really deal with crime unless we dealt with the root causes. And how do you put in place those agencies to support those services? So I do see a role there. Our human services partners, they provide a lot of those services for housing, for food, for shelter, for counseling, uh, for, for drug addiction and those kinds of services. We fund those, I mentioned to you earlier, uh, $4 million a year that we fund for those programs. We fund a, a million and a half dollars for phase one of the redevelopment of the housing in on Orange Avenue area. So in business partners, uh, we have a TIFLA program, which is a, a Tallahassee Future Leaders program, where again, we seek to provide an introduction to employment uh, to youth. And we've in the past had to depend on our business partners to help us expand that program. Now this year, because of COVID, and we understand that a lot of our businesses are struggling to maintain their own employees, we decided this year, rather than abandoning the program, because we thought it was important enough to keep that consistency and to work with youth, that we're doing a modified version of the program to develop those skills and provide exposure remotely. But certainly there is a place at the table as it relates to uh, public safety of our community and the quality of life overall. And we seek to continue our relationships with all the agencies that we currently work with. And we always seek to, if there are other services, other community partners who are interested in coming to the table, we're certainly interested in working with them. Thank you, Cynthia. So we have 10 minutes left. Here's what I'd like to do. I want to use the remaining time to give each of you just a couple of minutes to share your reflections and observations from today's conversation, but frankly, anything you want to make sure to address that maybe you haven't had an opportunity to. So, Cynthia, I'd like to start with you. Okay, so uh, thank, first of all, thank you and the Village Square for doing this and allowing us an opportunity because I do believe that at the root of a lot of what we deal with is uh, the ability for us to communicate openly and honestly about the things that we, we see and we feel um, to make our community better. You know, I'm a native Tallahassean and I, my office is on the fourth floor of City Hall and from there I can see my high school. So I'm often uh, reflective. I look out of the window and I see I am that little girl from across the tracks. I'm that little girl that was being trained up to be a, a administrative support person, a secretary, or perhaps a teacher or a nurse, nurse if I was lucky. Um, I believe working together and I try to be that example um, for for young people that um, that I that I know, and some perhaps that I don't know, that with the appropriate investment in me that came from those I at my school, from my parents, the examples that I saw led me to understand that if with an appropriate amount of, amount of hard work and us working together, we can transform ourselves and our community um, to be any, any community we want. We, I believe Tallahassee, I already say Tallahassee is the best city in the, in the nation and, and I would venture to say in the world, I love Tallahassee. But what I've learned is that 
we all care about this community. We make uh, show that care differently, but we have a lot of resources at the table, particularly at this panel. I'm really impressed with those who are on the panel. Let's just work together. And um, even in our law enforcement area, work with us. We are your Tallahassee Police Department. We are your city government. We're working on your behalf. Involve, get engaged. Don't tell us how we can do better, but not be willing to get to the table and put some sweat equity in. We all need to get to the table. Thank you, Cynthia. Wanda? Certainly a very good discussion. You know, I'm very proud, not only of the, the Leon County community, but particularly of, of both uh, city and county governments, and forgive my bias, most so, most so more so for county government. I, I'd like to take a moment, if I may, to, to recognize my county administrator, Vincent Long, who is a very inspirational leader, who challenges all of us to give our best, to, to keep our community first, to be focused on the community's needs. And I see that in him each time he speaks to us about future plans and, and growth opportunities for the community. So again, I think, great leadership both at the uh, appointed level and the uh, elected level are critical to the success of any organization. He encourages us to partner with our community to involve them, engage them, and ensure that we are hearing them in terms of giving our county commissioners uh, uh, what they need to meet the constituents' needs. So I think we are in a good place as a community. I'd also want to add that you know what is happening right now across our nation, really across the world as it relates to race issues, should make us uncomfortable and move us to action. I, I would sincerely hope that we did not take these moments, this moment as an indictment of what we've done so far. As John Lewis said so eloquently, we've come so very far. The discomfort we're feeling now should drive us to go farther in terms of making us a more perfect union as as we, we say we are. So I think this, and thank Village Square for giving us as a community an opportunity to challenge ourselves to continue growing and working together so that we all have a high, the highest quality of life that we possibly can for ourselves and generations to come. That's the least we could do for our, for our children in the future. Thank you, Wanda. Sharon. Yes, yeah, so many wonderful things have already been said. Um, so I, I would really just want to uh, encourage everyone to participate in programs like Leadership Tallahassee. Um, I believe that equality um, comes from having equality of opportunity. Um, and those opportunities often come from uh, you ha being a part of a diverse network of people that don't always look like you. And that's not just um, people of color, but also, you know, people, white people. So you should have a network with people that don't look like you, whether that's on LinkedIn, Facebook, or just your friends. And so that's how you hear diverse voices. That's how you hear other perspectives. And so again, I think we live in a great community. Um, as we've all said, we still have a lot of work to do, but work, the work that needs to be done starts with us individually. And it doesn't, 100% of it, not even 50% of it rests um, in the hands of government, it rests in the citizens. And so I just encourage citizens to get involved, um, to stay active and seek opportunities, um, which will level the playing field. Thank you, Sharon. Commissioner Maddox. Uh, thank you. Uh, this, has been, this has been awesome. Thank Miller Square for doing this. And uh, thank for the whole series that they're doing um, in, this, in this vein of trying to have this conversation. 
when I was thinking about what I wanted to say here, finally, it, it came back to a book that I like to read every now and then, or actually I read it daily. And, it talk, and, and the quote in the book says this, it says, oh, one of the greatest commandments is to love thy neighbor as you love thyself. Uh, it starts with loving yourself, but then that same love that you have for yourself, that same sense of self-preservation that you may have, extending those same feelings to the person who lives next to you, not just the person who lives next to you, the person who lives 10 miles, 100 miles from you, or on the other side of, of, of this great nation we call the United States of America. Those things are, are absolutely important and, and, and just life-changing when it comes to the things we're trying to do within our community. I don't think, and I try, I try to live by that every day as I make decisions as a kind of commissioner. I think the level of empathy that's needed throughout the world, throughout the counties, throughout the state of Florida is, is so immense right now. We think about some of the, some of the arguments or some of the things that we're, we're having to debate. And I keep going back to the mask issue because it's the simplest thing you can actually debate right now is whether or not you should wear a mask. Um, if, if you approach it from that standpoint of loving thy neighbor and showing a little empathy to that neighbor, um, the, 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 the thought that, hey, I'm, I'm 30, I'm 20, and it may not actually affect me um, at, at, a, at a place that, it, that, is, that is actually deadly to me. Well, what about that old lady that you're walking next to in the grocery store? Just because it doesn't affect you doesn't mean it's not going to kill her. That's the type of thoughtfulness, empathy, and togetherness of community that we need as a whole. The idea that the conversation around Black Lives Matter, the conversation around around the funding of the police and the conversation around racial inequity, all these things lend themselves to the, that, that one statement. Do you love the person who lives on the other side of town as well as you love yourself and your family? Are you that much in the self-preservation? Are you that selfish that you could care less about what happens to the people within your community? I don't think Tallahassee is that type of place. I don't think Leon County is that type of place. As a matter of fact, I don't know it to be, and I've been here almost 20 years, and I hope that when people see this, when they listen to what we're saying here, that they'll embrace that attitude to say that we are, and I believe, I think maybe the city came up with this, or maybe even uh, the downtown authority, we are one Tallahassee, we are one Leon County, we're not separate barrels. And until we start thinking about it and respecting the cultural things that happen on in each respective place and starting to understand and really, really embrace and even go visit those cultures, I think that when we get there, that there will be a complete county with folks who care about each other, empathetic for each other, and he loves and loves each other. And as elected official, that's what I like most for Leon County City of Tallahassee. Thank you. Mr. Mayor, giving you the last word. Well, I, it's tough to beat Nick. <laughs> Nick. Nick is always right on point. You know, I think I've got the most incredible job in the world. I am the mayor of most wonderful city, Tallahassee. And I will just summarize by saying, these are difficult times. These are unusual times. We haven't seen anything like this um, between the social justice issues layered on top of a 100 year global pandemic recession, how it's impacted all of our lives. We're all frustrated. We're all trying to figure things out. But I tell you what, I, I am a positive guy by nature. I believe in the human spirit. I believe in all of our citizens, and I believe in this community. I am blessed to work with the most amazing people at the city of Tallahassee, from Reese and Cynthia all the way down. I am absolutely honored to work with some of the most amazing people that are both elected and appointed officials at the county, like Nick and Wanda. 
I am blessed to have such a wonderful business community that I get to work with day in and day out, like you and Sharon. I mean, the truth is, Tallahassee's great. We've got a lot of work to do, but we're going to get this and we're going to make it. And I just hope everybody has a blessed and a safe evening, a great week, and let's just keep smiling. We are Tallahassee strong and we are Tallahassee proud. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. So I want to personally thank each of you for your leadership. Thank you so much for what you do day in and day out for our city, for our county. On behalf of Village Square, thank you for participating tonight. I want to make sure our viewers know that Village Square will be rebroadcasting uh, this event along with the other two in this series beginning July 30th at 7 p.m. On behalf of Village Square, Saks Media Group, the U.S. Attorney's Office, and Bethel Missionary Baptist Church. Thank you all. Have a great evening. Stay safe. Thank you, Lila. Thank you. Thank you. Hello again. This is Vanessa, your podcast host. Thanks for joining us for this very important discussion. And thanks to each of these panelists for participating and for their work in our community. I really appreciate the focus during this Equality in Life series on root problems, on finding ways to provide better opportunities and fixed injustices in our systems so that our community can function at its best for everyone living here. My big takeaway after listening to this series is how it's going to take the majority of us on a personal level and across the board in government and organizations in order to make enough change and the right types of changes. During this series, we've heard lots of discussion about the role of personal responsibility and also the role of government and business. For me, this Equality in Life series has broadened my understanding of how systemic racism plays out locally day to day. By hearing from people on the receiving end of it and from people inside the systems, having them share their insights has been very helpful to me. And it's also been great to hear about some of the positive changes that are taking place. I hope this series has been helpful to you as well. And now I'm going to throw out a little challenge for you. I bet you know someone else like me who wants to know more about all this. So please help us spread the word on these conversations. And if you're wanting to have more conversations in your own circles about how our local community is tackling these challenges, this series could be a good way to start. Ask a few people to listen and then follow up with a discussion to explore thoughts and discuss action steps. You can find the show notes page for this episode with links to resources mentioned at villagesquare.us slash squarecast. Please subscribe to The Village Square in your favorite podcast directory or on our website so you'll be the first to know about new episodes coming out each Thursday. You can also subscribe to our newsletter and learn about all Village Square's activities at villagesquare.us. We appreciate you listening to this Equality in Life episode of The Village Squarecast. Until next time, we challenge you to reach out with an open heart and mind to someone who doesn't look or think like you. It changes everything. We'll talk to you soon. And thank you so much for listening to the Village Squarecast. <laughs>